Hello and welcome to The Wanderer, the podcast that talks about and discusses Anglo-Saxon heathenism and Anglo-Saxon poetry. Today's episode is about heathenism because of what appears to be the scarcity of heathen remains in England some scholars have asked themselves the question, were the Old English really heathen? And in the last 50 years, there has been a tendency to answer with a, well, not really. Such historians as Oman and Hodgkin seem to have come up with the conclusion that our ancestors of 1,500 years ago were hardly paying more than lip service to heathenism and that their pagan faith did not stand the sea crossing from the continent at all well. The Angles, Saxons and Jutes rode over from Europe to Britain about AD 450, settled and farmed England fairly rapidly, received the first Christian missionaries led by the Italian monk Augustine in AD 597 and were more or less converted to a Christian people by AD 664. The difficulty of deciding how far the Angles, Saxons and Jutes were practising heathens is mainly of the church's making. Usually, no opponents fight more bitterly and to the death than warring religions. Every effort is made to obliterate the memory of whence the creed came. The Christian religion had done this in the very beginning when it was struggling for dear life against the Hellenistic faiths of the Eastern Mediterranean and Christ was duelling with Attis and Adonis and Osiris and especially Mithras. Christianity adopted alien ideas again when in England the missionary monks acted on the advice of Pope Gregory and incorporated local heathen customs into the conduct of the Christian year. Once Christianity was accepted in England, the church had no compunction about obliterating the memory of the heathen origin while retaining the custom of Yuletide and harvest festivals, for instance, or of the charming now blessing of the plough. The obliteration of heathenism from written records was particularly easy. It was easy because reading and writing were a church monopoly and the result that what heathen literary memories remain have done so largely due to oversight. It is not to be expected that the writers in the cool cell and shady cloister would lend their quills to propaganda of the heathen gods. And because we moderns subscribe to the belief or pretend we do, that the pen is mightier than the sword, we are apt to discount evidence which is unwritten. Place names of Anglo-Saxon origin give us two kinds of information about the old religion. First, they call to mind the names of some of the gods and supernatural beings, and secondly, they indicate former shrines or holy places. At least three gods and one goddess can be shown from place names to have been venerated in Anglo-Saxon England. The gods are Woden, Thunar and Til, and the goddess Frigg. We gather from a study of place names and other sources that Woden was chief god. Traces of his cult are scattered more widely over the rolling English countryside than those of any other heathen deity, and he is the only one we know of at present whose works were commemorated by a nickname. We are sure that Woden was worshipped in Kent, Essex, Hampshire, Wiltshire, Somerset, Staffordshire, Bedfordshire and Derbyshire. An important centre of Woden's influence appears to have been above the Vale of Pusey, where the notable earthworks called Wansdyke, Woden's Dyke, runs from Hampshire to Somerset, 
Nearby are spots formerly known as Woden's Barrow and Adam's Grave in the bounds of Alton Priors and Woden's Valley in the bounds of West Overton. There was a similar centre at Wednesbury, Woden's Fortress and Wednesfield, Woden's Plain above the headwaters River Thame. Other place names incorporating Woden are Woden's Borough near Sandwich and Warns Hill near Sittingbourne. Nor does that exhaust the list. Some light on the chief god's attributes is thrown by places which enshrine one of his nicknames, Grim. This word denotes a person wearing a hood in such a way as to mask the face and is related to the old Norse Glimmer, a name applied to Odin on account of his habit of wandering between the worlds in disguise. Many earthworks in southern England are called Grimsdike. They attest the awe in which Woden was held as the supposed creator of these vast ramparts. Woden was not only the ancestor of the kings, he was also worshipped by the three principal races of which the English nation was composed. Thunor, the god of thunder, was a friend of the common man in his day, and that meant of the farmer. His name occurs much more often than Woden's in Essex and Wessex, where he seems to have been the most generally honoured of the gods. But he was worshipped in Jutish territory too. As we can guess from the lost Thunor's Mound in Thanet and Thunor's Clearing near Southampton, modern examples of places once sacred to Thunor are Thunderfield in Surrey, Thundridge, Hertfordshire, and Six Spots in Sussex, Essex, Surrey, and Hampshire, in which his name proceeds Lear, an old English word meaning a wood or woodland clearing. This Lear we find joined also to Woden's and Tew's names providing corroborative evidence of the Roman historian Tacitus's remarks associating the practical worship of the Germanic gods with sacred groves. Three Old English words attest the strength of heathen worship in the land by the widespread frequency with which they occur. They are Il, a temple, Har, or Hirg, a hill, sanctuary, and Wo, which means idol, shrine, or sacred spot. Il, is rarer than the others, but may still be found in Alcum near Dover. It occurred to in Airflot, an early name of a channel connecting Faversham with the sea. Here remains in Harrow on the Hill, Middlesex, Harrowden, Bedford, Northants, Essex, Arrowfield Top, and Pepper Harrow, Surrey. Commonest of all and most widely distributed is Woe, which lives on in Wire, Kent, Wiley, Wiley Willy, Surrey. Weedie Down, Wayhill Hence, Weedon Beck, Weedon Lawyers, Northants, Weedon Bucks, Worley, Worcester, Wheelie Essex, Wyville, Castephen, Weeford, Staffordshire, Wynham, Links, and Patchway, Sussex. Old English converts tried to combine the elements from their own pagan myth with the new Christian one. Ettins, Elves, and Orcs are all words of native origin. Giant is not. It comes through the Latin from Greek because the Beowulf poet uses the word giant which possibly came into English via the Vulgate Bible. The Anglo-Saxon charms bear witness to native pagan beliefs. These incantations are often difficult to interpret being a mixture of Old English, Latin, Greek, Celtic, Hebrew and Norse elements sometimes reduced to plain gibberish with a superficial Christianization to add to the confusion. The chief sources are two British museum manuscripts called Leech Book 
and Laknunga, written between AD 950 and 1050. How truly ancient are the charms may be gathered from a modern example for curing a sprain, recorded in many parts of England, Scotland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Netherlands, Estonia, Finland and Hungary. Our Lord raid, his foal's foot slayed, down he lighted, his foal's foot righted, bone to bone, sinew to sinew, blood to blood, flesh to flesh, heal in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Ghost. This charm for a sprain is found a thousand years earlier in 9th century Germany with the original pagan personages who were later to be superseded by our Lord. Balder and Woden rode to the wood where Balder's foal wrenched its foot. Then Woden charmed as he well knew how, as for bone wrench, so for blood wrench, so for limb wrench, bone to bone, blood to blood, limbs to limbs, as if they were glued. The old English looked with awe on the life-giving sky and earth, on the death-dealing thunderstorm and winter. It is from the constant awareness of the living connection between man and the phenomenal world that the myths of our ancestors arise, that their gods are born in spite of a millennium and a half of civilizing influences. We, their descendants, are occasionally able to slip into this same relationship with nature as witnessed the following report of a terrifying thunderstorm from the News Chronicle for August 30th, 1956. An 18-year-old sapper was killed when lightning struck six soldiers at Ash Ranges near Aldershot yesterday. The NCO in charge, Sergeant William Kendrick, said it looked as if they had been in action. There was a terrific bang, everything went black, and it seemed as though someone was trying to hammer us into the ground. Is there any wonder that the old English looked on the thunderstorm as the great god Thunor whose hammer was the thunderbolt? For the attitude of Sergeant Kendrick, perhaps only for a few seconds, is plainly shown by his words to have been the same as our pagan ancestors, namely that the demonic and the divine were imminent in nature. These are written proofs that the pagan English had temples in which they housed images of the gods they wished to praise and appease. Bede quotes a letter dated June 17th, 601, written by Pope Gregory the Great to Abbot Melitus on the departure of the abbot for England. When, by God's help, you come to our most revered brother, Bishop Augustine in Kent, I want you to tell him how earnestly I have been pondering over the affairs of the English. I have come to the conclusion that the temples of the idols in England should not on any account be destroyed. Augustine must smash the idols but the temples themselves should be sprinkled with holy water in which relics are to be enclosed, for we ought to take advantage of well-built temples by purifying them from devil worship and dedicating them to the service of the true God. In this way, I hope the people, seeing their temples are not destroyed, will leave their idolatry and yet continue to frequent the places as formerly, so coming to know and revere the true God. And since the sacrifice of many oxen to devils is their custom, some other rite ought to be solemnised in its place, such as the day of dedication or festivals for the holy martyrs, whose relics are there enshrined. On such higher days, the people might well build themselves shelters of bows around and about the churches that were once temples, and celebrate the occasion with pious feasting. There must no more sacrifice animals to the devil, that they may kill them for food to the glory of God, 
while giving thanks for his bounty to the provider of all gifts. We may conclude then that the Angles, Saxons and Jews were practising heathens during their first five generations in England, and that the evidence of their heathenism is not so scanty as some historians would have us believe. They worshipped at least four divinities, Woden, Thunor, Tu and Frigg, and had temples, images of the gods and priests. The temples, like their houses, were wooden-framed and so have perished, but they appear to have been simple rectangular ridged-roofed structures set up in forest clearings, possibly in association with sacred groves or a venerated tree and a holy well. Inside the temple was a sanctum with an altar and a likeness of one or more gods. If ancient Norse and Icelandic fanes offer a parallel, then the old English temple furniture included a gold ring upon which oaths were sworn, a bowl for catching the blood of sacrificed animals and a bunch of twigs for splattering the blood over worshippers in the same way as holy water is asperged upon devout Catholics. There is reason to believe that the priests combined in some cases their religious role with that of secular belief, or that of secular chief or headman of a district. Religious rites followed the changing year with sacrifices of animals which were eaten at ritual feasts. The rites alternated as pleas for favours and thanks for favours received. It is reasonable to suppose that where very existence depended upon a bounteous earth and a fertilising sky, these two were in the forefront of men's minds in religious matters. I shall argue that this was the case with the Old English, no matter what the current name for the two great providers happened to be. For the present then, we may believe that our forefathers of 1500 years ago were devout heathens who believed that their very lives depended on their devotion, and for that matter, who is to say they were mistaken? Thank you for listening to this episode on the podcast, The Wanderer. And if you like this episode, please tune in next time. Thank you and goodbye.